Well, good morning, church. After that, we almost don't need a sermon, right? We can all just go to, go to class. Uh, it's great to be with you. My name is Mason Lee. I, uh, you heard uh, Mark uh, at the beginning of the service. I work at ACU uh, there in the Graduate School of Theology and kind of help with the Cyber Institute things there. Uh, there will be, you'll see kind of a group of us coming through this summer. And so let me just uh, say that know that you're in our prayers over the course of this summer and the season that you're in. Uh, and we're honored and we're humbled that we get to uh, be with you over the course of the summer. There will be several of us uh, coming in and out. So let me say two things, uh, and then we'll get to the scripture reading, uh, and then we'll, we'll jump into the, the sermon this morning. The first is, uh, every spring semester, the undergraduate Bible department, they do something really sinister. Uh, they make their Bible majors take an intro to preaching class with me. I don't know why. They, it's like they're fighting retention with every bone in there by subjecting the students to me, but they have to take the, the class with me. And one of the things I try to spend that semester impressing upon them is a, the responsibility that it is to preach, to stand up before a group of people and try as best as we are able to say something about God. I tell you that because uh, this is the first time we're meeting each other. You don't know me. I'm getting to meet all of you. And so I just want you to know that the responsibility you're giving me, that you've given us, the group who are going to be here over the next several months, I want you to know that we take this responsibility very seriously uh, and that we are honored, that I am honored, and that I'm humbled by your welcoming us and inviting us to stand here and to say something about God. And I want you to know I take that responsibility very seriously. Uh, the other thing is that you'll notice is through the summer, the group of us who are here, we're going to be working on, uh, kind of working our way through 2 Corinthians. Paul's letter, his second letter to this kind of ragtag church in Corinth. Uh, it's a, it's a, fun letter. It's kind of a weird letter, You'll, as you hear some of the texts kind of read that are preached on, but it's this incredibly powerful letter that if we listen to it, tells us something about who God is, about how God moves and acts in the world, about how God redeems, about how God transforms, and about the kind of people God invites us to be in the power of the Spirit. So we're starting this uh, series this morning with uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 1 through 11, and then over the next several weeks, we'll kind of be working our way through the book, I and others who are coming back. So I hope you'll, you'll stick with us through, through the series. Uh, so with that, let me read the text. That's the basis of the sermon this morning. Uh, so here are these words from 2 Corinthians 1, 1 through 11. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is in Corinth, including all the saints throughout Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all consolation, who consoles us in all our afflictions so that 
we may be able to console those who are in any affliction with the consolation with which we ourselves have been consoled by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are abundant for us, so also our consolation is abundant through, through Christ. If we're being afflicted, it's for your consolation and salvation. And if we're being consoled, it is for your consolation, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we are also suffering. And our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our suffering, so also you share in our consolation. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly, unbearably crushed that we despaired of life itself. And indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death so that we would rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He who rescued us from so deadly a peril will continue to rescue us. And on him we have set our hope that he will rescue us again. As you also join in helping us by your prayers so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. Would you pray with me this morning as we get started? Our holy and gracious God, you who give life to the dead and call into being that which does not exist, we are grateful, O oh Lord, for this day and for this time that we have to gather together as your people, to gather around your word, and to listen for you. And as we gather this morning, O oh Lord, we are aware that we gather from many different walks of life and bringing with us many different experiences, bringing with us different hopes and dreams, bringing with us many worries and anxieties and fears, bringing with us so many deep needs, some that are known and some we dare not speak aloud, yet we know that they are known to you. And so as we gather this morning, O oh Lord, we pray that you would be gracious to our seeking a word from you, for we know that no mere human word do. We pray that your spirit would move in and among us and that by your spirit you would shape us a people more into the image of your son. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. We were so utterly, unbearably crushed that we despaired of life itself. This text, this morning, that you just heard me read, our passage for today, Paul recounts this time, this experience from his life when he was at what can be described as only the, as 
the very limit of human experience. He is, he is at the edge. We were so utterly, unbearably crushed that we despaired of life itself. We don't know when this is. We don't know much about it. We only know what Paul says here in these first couple verses at the beginning of this letter, 2 Corinthians. We know that Paul, this person called by God, empowered by God, and sent on a mission by God, very, very quickly finds himself in situations and circumstances beyond his control. Things did not go as well as he had hoped. What I tell my students when I'm working with those who are preparing training for ministry over at the university is that if Paul is any indication, then it means that even if you're called by God, uh, you can expect that things were not always going to go well. In fact, most of the time, things are probably not going to go well, even if God calls you to the thing that you're doing. We were so utterly, unbearably crushed that we despaired of life itself. But Paul gets called. We don't know where this, this is happening. There's, right, there's maybe some hints at kind of the end of 2 Corinthians that tell us what this is. But we know that Paul is in Asia. He's on this mission. And he encounters hostility and suffering and difficulty. And he is caught in a series of events and circumstances beyond his control. And we don't know what they are, but we do know how Paul felt. We know the despair and the sadness and the grief and the lament. Because while Paul doesn't tell us exactly what was going on, he does tell us that. And I can't help but wonder... I can't help but wonder if Paul's vagueness here, right? We just know where it is, and we don't know what the specifics are, but we know how he felt, the despair, the depression, the darkness. I wonder if the vagueness is maybe a little intentional. Because, well, since it's just us chickens here today, I think we can be honest. I don't think any of us would have to imagine very long before we could think of the times in our own lives when we were so unbearably crushed that we despaired of life itself. Those times in our own lives, either collectively as a community or those times in our own lives personally, when we have ourselves felt at the limit of human experience, at the very edge of what it seems like where the, the abyss is the only thing that's on the other side. So you might have noticed uh, since 2020, we've come through something of a pandemic I don't know if you remember that or not. Maybe you don't want to remember it. But I distinctly remember in those months the isolation, shut in, right, to your apartment or to your home, right, having to stay distanced. And you, you don't know much about this, right? You don't know what's going on. We, we knew very, very little. But we knew something about what Paul is talking about about the loneliness and the isolation and the depression that creeps in when you're absolutely cut off from human contact in meaningful ways and you're so utterly depressed that you are 
uh, you are unbearably crushed and you are despairing of life itself. Or maybe you think about that relationship that you know is just strained. It's just strained and there's nothing, it doesn't, doesn't seem to matter what you do. It doesn't seem to matter what help you get, what books you read, what conversations you have, what actions you undertake. That relationship is just strained and it's fraying and you don't know what to do and you just, boy, it feels like the end is coming. And you're so unbearably crushed and you're at the limit and you're despairing of life itself. Or maybe it's that job that you were hopeful when you took it, but it has just become soul-crushing. And there is no end in sight, and it's been a long time since you've been able to look at the work that you do and think of it in any kind of vocation or higher purpose or calling. You just feel kind of like a cog in the machine, and you're you're not even sure how long this is going to last, and then you get home, You get home at the end of the day and you just feel so utterly, unbearably crushed that you despair of life itself. Or maybe, just one more, maybe maybe it was you spent four years of high school with a trajectory in mind for what you were going to do, where you were going to go to school, what you were going to study, the job you were going to get, and you had spent your entire high school career sort of lining this out. And then one day you get a letter in the mail from that school, and they say, we regret to inform you. And in one one one-page letter, all of the doors that you were planning to walk through are slammed shut. And you are utterly, unbearably crushed. And you're despairing of life itself. I don't know, maybe the reason Paul stays vague here in 2 Corinthians is because for each of us, we don't have to go too far before we recognize those times, those seasons in our life when we recognize what Paul is talking about. That even though we feel called by God to something, it doesn't always mean it's worry, anxiety, free, that we don't find ourselves in these hard places at the very, very limits of, well, life, of human experience. But here's the thing that I also noticed as I was reading this text this week. It's not just that Paul's recounting this experience of of this time when he was at the limits of human experience, it's also, I don't know if you noticed this, the first section of this passage is about praise. It's about praise. Because Paul invites us to something. Paul invites us to see that it's at that very moment when Paul was at the limit of human experience, when he was at the end, when he was at the edge, when he was surrendering to forces and circumstances beyond his control, beyond his ability to do anything about, at that darkest time when he's facing nothing, there is God. 
there is God. And Paul invites us to see something that has been a foundational claim of this faith that you and I share from the very beginning, which is that there is nowhere we can go. There is no limit of human experience in which God is not there, in which God is not already there. And so Paul recounts this experience, but he also recounts that it it was actually in that moment, at the limit of human experience, that, that Paul discovers this God who raises the dead, this God who can reach us at the limit. And this continues to be one of the central claims of Christian faith, whether it's Israel in Egypt in slavery crying out for freedom at the edge of human experience and God hears and God sees and God turns and God looks and God comes down and God rescues. It's God at the limits. Or whether it's in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, God sees and God comes down and God takes on human flesh and God is literally dying to love us, bringing life and resurrection and hope out of death and nothingness, this God at the limits. Or you think about those times in your own life when you have been so utterly, unbearably crushed that you despaired of life itself and you didn't know how things were going to go on and, and yet at that exact moment, there is God. And you experience, once again, the presence of the resurrected Christ in your own life. There's something about this God that you and I worship, that that you and I gather here and sing songs about and pray to, that this God, well, this God refuses to leave us alone. Even if it means God has to go to the limits to claim us again. So several years ago, I was uh, at an airport flying somewhere. It was early morning flight. It was, it was like 5 a.m., right? Like security's not even opened yet. I hadn't had a cup of coffee yet. I was barely coherent. It was, it's a testament to my wife that I actually got out the door into the airport and not end up somewhere else. Like I, I was not thinking clearly at all. And uh, I was sitting there just trying to read a book. The lines were still blurry, right? My contacts are still adjusting. But this guy, whole wide open airport, this guy comes and he sits down right next to me. And I sort of realize, okay, great. I'm about to be forced into a conversation I don't want to have to have. So, you know, I'm trying to intensely read so he doesn't try to engage me in conversation, but it doesn't work. He just starts talking. Well, he sees what I'm reading and says, oh, what is that about? What What do you do? So I explain, you know, I, I'm a, you know, I teach, teach theology, ministry courses, I help train ministers, and oh, well, that's interesting. And he says, well, you know, I'm not a Christian, but I, I don't mind that you are. And I thought, like, you know, how very, how very respectful of you, how courteous. It's very, very kind of you to to, to say that. And he, he's talking to me, and I'm just giving one-word answers. I'm not witnessing very well at that moment. I'll admit. And, and he says, well, you know, one question I've always had 
uh, you know, I don't believe in God. You're Christian. You do. But one thing I've always wondered is that why, why does believing in God, you know, why are you Christians so sure that there's anything like life after death? You know, there are a lot of people who believe in God, who believe in something, right? But, but they don't think that that necessarily means there's anything after this for you. So what makes you so sure? Let me remind you, I hadn't had coffee yet. And so I'm just, I'm sitting there, my head's spinning, right? I was, the, the, the plan was not to get into deep theological debate in an airport at five, five in the morning. And I thought for a second, and I said, well, I, you know, I guess, I guess I think that God so desires to have a relationship with me that God is determined not to let that relationship end at my death. That God is so determined to have a relationship with me that God is willing to do something like resurrection, to make sure that relationship endures. There's something about this God who meets us at the limits, who works and acts at the limits of our experience. When we, we think we're at the end, when we think there's only nothingness in front of us, this, this God, this God that Paul is telling us about, meet you, or as the psalmist would say in Psalm 139, where can I go from your presence? If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. This God so refuses to be God without us that this God will go anywhere to claim us. So so powerful is this God's love for each of us. And I can't help but wonder if maybe the, the job of the church, your, your job and my job, our, our job as, as the people of God, as the people who are invited to bear witness to this God who goes to the limits for each of us, maybe our job is, is to be a community who... who are willing to go to that place with one another. To be people who can sit in that limited space, that limit experience. To sit there with others in the hope and in the assurance that that is the place where God works. To be a church that sits in the place of that miscarriage. Not to give religious bromide and to say, well, it will all be better, but to sit with that person and to know that they're not walking alone. Or to be the church that sits with that person when they get the call about the test result that's positive. Not to give religious bromides and to try to find a silver lining, but to sit because we know that at the limits is the place where we experience the profound comfort of this God who refuses to be God without us. I don't know. I, I'm just the guest preacher, so take this with a grain of salt. But I wonder, I wonder if that's 
part of what your job and, and what my job is, is to, to sit in those places. Maybe that's what Paul means when he talks about he's experienced the comfort of God through the actions of others. Maybe that's what Paul means. So I remember one time I was, a, I was an intern at this church in Kansas, a wonderful church, um, and I remember they were letting me preach Sunday nights, and uh, so I was preaching, preaching these Sunday night sermons, and, and I'll never forget, there was a, a, a guy there who, who we really sort of hit it off, and so he was always coming on Sunday nights uh, and, and giving me really good feedback, and then I'll never forget, he and his, he and his wife were coming, and he, uh, I'll never forget the one Sunday I was there, one of them, and I'm not going to lie, I thought I preached a pretty good sermon that Sunday. All right, can I say that just between you and me? Like, I know you're not supposed to brag about sermons you preach. That one was pretty good, I thought. So I was really eager to find this guy when the service was over so I could hear him tell me how good the sermon was. I know, it's not I'm not supposed to admit that, right? And uh, so I found him afterwards, and we're sort of trying to bait him into it, but he just seemed really down. The whole time, actually, when I was preaching, the whole time... He was, he was not sitting in his normal spot. He was kind of sitting way at the back in the corner, like right He just kind of snuck in and then snuck out and uh, was trying to sneak out. And so I was talking with him, and I asked him, well, your wife's not here. Where is she? And he took this heavy sigh, and he said, you know, we weren't going to say anything about this, um, but we found out this week we we're expecting, and we hadn't told anyone yet, but we found out this week that we lost the baby. And my wife is at home. She could not bear to come tonight. And he said, I suppose I came for a word from God. And I suppose I came because I knew that this church could walk with us. It makes me wonder, what if churches were like that? That we are able to enter those, those limits, when people are at the limits of their experience, and to enter into that space, and to sit, and in sitting, and in walking, and in waiting, and in, in, in waiting, experience the movement of the Spirit, to experience new life, to experience in some small foretaste kind of way the resurrection that awaits all things. What a church that would be. What a church that would be. What a, what a people that would be. And what a God that would be that bears witness to it. May it be so among us in our time and in our place. Would you pray with me? Our holy and gracious God, you who in your Son are literally dying to love us, you from whom no one is hidden, 
from whom no one is lost. You who meet us at the limits of our experience and bring about comfort and transformation and resurrection. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would help us to be a people, to be a church, who bear witness to your resurrection power in our own lives, that you would give us eyes and hearts to see those who are suffering, those who are unbearably crushed and despairing, and that you would help us to sit with them, that you would help us to walk with them, that in sitting and in walking, we would see your power at work. It seems, O oh Lord, so strange a thing that we ask for faith. And yet that is exactly what we ask for. Because we know that in your spirit you will empower us. We ask all of these things, O oh Lord, in the name of the one who is our way and our truth and our life. Amen.